Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Yeah, mate, watch out! Which is, of course, English for Achtung, Achtung. 80 years ago this week, one of the, those terrifying wartime incidents took place which would lead the news agenda for weeks, if it happened now, but barely registered a ripple back in 1942. On the 13th of April in the Wiltshire village of Imber, an RAF hurricane pilot taking part in a firepower demonstration accidentally strafed a crowd of spectators. 25 were killed and 71 wounded. 21-year-old pilot Sergeant William McLaughlin mistook the spectators for dummies, which he thought were part of the demonstration. McLaughlin was shot down and killed over France 10 weeks later. On that cheery note, good morning, Jim. You've got, you've got the I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. But Haven't you? <laughs> I mean, they're right. I mean, that would have barely registered a ripple. It's a bit like, um, you know, John Derry crashing into uh, yeah. uh, the 1952 Farnborough. Yes. And, and 20 minutes later, his mate came in and broke the speed of sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that so that the headline changed. I mean, there were there were a fair few of these sort of fatal accidents, weren't there? I mean, you yeah, you, there were, and you know, people the attitude was, you know, don't want to make a fuss. You know, yeah, these yeah. things happen. There's a war on. These things happen. Carry on. There's sort of drownings of people trying to cross rivers in sort of. I think there's some terrible act, home guard accident where a load of people drown trying to cross a river or something. Well, Seems I don't familiar. know. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I think there's a there's a sort of subculture of ghastly, of gar- hideous ghastly accidents. Yeah. Well, I always remember it's sort of it's about thirty percent of you know flying flying casualties are accidents. The training. Yeah. Or accidents. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredible number, isn't it? Really, when you think about it. Yeah. Well, and Tatton Park, where um. Uh, the the embryo, embryonic airborne forces first, but they were given. They, so they were they were sent to Ringway, to uh, the they created the, the the landing school at Ringway, and then they were put up at Tatton Park near Nutsford outside Manchester. Yeah, and Tatton Park, a very nice stately home, excellent place to be put up. But there's loads of lakes around it, so <laughs> people were always so they, it was renowned, and the the Polish Polish paratroopers had a song about how you were going to end. I think they had a song. About, well, no, they had a song about how the Whitley was a flying coffin. But there was all this humour about ending up in the lake. And in the end, SOE practised landing in the lake as a landing technique with the lakes at Tatton Park. So, I mean, it's just, a, you know. It, the stuff that went on in the Second World War, right? Eh? <laughs> is that, the, is that the, name, the other alternate name of this podcast? <laughs> Yeah. But James, you you have the Rona, and um, how are you? Well, I'm I'm all right. I you know, I mean, I've, I've heard what one can get it a lot worse. Yes, <laughs> this is yeah. short of it. Um, I was, I, you know, I went to my bed yesterday. Um, yeah. so that was good. I caught up on the last two episodes of Peaky Blinders. Yeah, and I actually, actually, I started watching the Bridget Remagen 
ah. which has got a lot of chaffees in it, yes, it uh, which I quite enjoyed. A huge number of chaffees. Yeah. Lack of yeah. Shermans, but a huge number of chaffees. Well, and, I see, and it's got lots of people sort of sort of going, the men are dug tired, war as hell. <laughs> There's lots of that kind of stuff. <laughs> and Robert Vaughan as the, as, the, as the German major. Mayor. Mayor, Mayor Kruger. It's, it's all really good. I mean, it's the the, the I, I, I didn't fall asleep watching it. Well, no, that's fair enough. I think it's pretty. I think it's it's a bit pretty, ropey. pretty ropey. I I I mean, we. I remember interviewing because you know, there's the famous incident that the Amer- first American soldiers across the bridge, they shoot this guy in a black uniform because they think he's he's SS, and in fact, he's the railway inspector or something. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed his son, the railway inspector. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we did because we oh, did the bridge. Yeah, for Road to Berlin, we did the Bridget Remagen. So we interviewed we interviewed a guy who was like fifty first across the bridge, right? Right, you know, because they were running, even in two thousand and four, running out of veterans. Yeah, and and you know, oh, we the were just told still quite high. Exactly. Yeah, I know. It's 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 it's, it's pretty good. It means he's in the leading company at least, and yeah. he's basically going, uh, you know, where well, we got across and then we shot this guy who we thought was SS, and uh, it, it turns out he was the and and. And and then that so we interview him and then we go to talk to the bloke who, whose father was killed by the Americans coming across the river. And Absolutely how did he feel about it? He wasn't he wasn't best pleased. Put it that way. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mean, it's an extraordinary. Unless in the vastity of life, if you're German in the Second World War, don't wear black. I guess. Well, yes, I suppose. I mean, the 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 the, the it's such a striking place though that 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 bit where the Rhine's cutting through the hills and everything. It's an incredibly dramatic place. And that they crossed there, it, you know, the sort of drama of the whole thing. You, 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 you can completely see why you might make a, why you might make a film about it, even a slightly sort of doughy, yeah. doughy one for the chat. Well, I don't know if you remember the film. I mean, the film, they, they shot it in, because I looked it up, I thought, God, did they really use the Bridge of Remagen? Mm. Um, and it turns out they didn't. They used it one in Czechoslovakia. And, and they, they had to, and it was during the um, Soviet invasion. Yeah. So they all had to evacuate and and really? sack it off for two months until it all got sorted out. Really? Yeah, there That's was some amazing. town they were allowed to blow up. Right. Some entire town in Czechoslovakia that they were allowed to blow up. I mean, really? Because then I suddenly started to see all these buildings being blown up. And I thought, well, that does look quite realistic, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was just incredible. Wow. I mean, that's you know, that's that's the Czech government desperate for dollars, isn't it? That's what that they, is. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in 68. God, incredible. Yeah. And of wow. course, huge numbers of chaffees. Sorry, I've just got to let my dog in. Hold on. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Come on. He's just taking his dog in, dear listener. Yeah, um, sorry about I, that. I remember watching the Bridget Remagen as a as a boy with the Colonel, and there's a bit where they're all like they're in the dark waving maps about like white bits of paper. Yeah. He's going, that's going to get them killed. They wouldn't do that. No. Stupid. And look at those tanks. Cause and there's a bit where they all the chaffies all line up along a hill line, inevitably, because yeah. it looks yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, silhouetted. <laughs> but but, they've, but got lots, they've got lots of guns all too close together and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, you've got, to, you've, got to fit it in the, you've got to fit it in the camera frame, haven't you? Now, the, I'm, the fingers are refusing to wear a helmet. That was the other thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah some yeah, yeah. weird sort of, weird yeah. sort of, Port Pie hat, yeah, yeah. completely odd and yeah, yeah. But um, Saturday, um, I had the good fortune to um, uh, visit the National Army Museum. Oh yes, and this is a very good um ex- 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 exhibition on there, Jim. I don't know if you're aware of it. Um, 
called <laughs> Brothers in Arms. Yeah. And I also had the, I had the good fortune to uh, go round that exhibition with its curator. Well, um, lucky old you. <laughs> no, it was brilliant, Jim. And uh, it's very, very effectively done, I think. Well, thank you. And, uh, and having read the story to see, I mean, obviously, having read the book, you know, twice, um, once in my head and once out loud. I mean, it was very interesting to see what you picked because to distill all that, you know, 600 pages of, of, of that, that, that you, you know, that you've presented as a book to distill, how do you distill that down into, you know, a sort of large, a living room sized exhibit, exhibit? How did you, how did you make your choices, your shot selections? Because I was really interested by that afterwards, thinking to myself, you know what you because obviously you can't put everything in. You've got to leave stuff out. You concentrate on some characters. There's that interesting rolodex right at the end where you can just go through what happens every day. How did you choose? Well, it was really that that was you know that was the biggest most tricky thing of the whole thing really was was to kind of you know where do you so first of all you kind of think okay well, what are you who you, let's rather than hope homing in on all six hundred and eighty eight people that are serving in the regiment at any one time yeah let's just home in on a handful handful of individuals. They're very keen to keep it. They're, they're always very keen to keep it less rather than more. Yeah, of course. Course. we'd have six. <coughs> well, I insist on having eight. I'm glad right. I did actually, and I think I felt like it was fine. So you you focus everything around them, and I was just trying to think about you know what are my big takeaways from the book and from 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 studying that one regiment in in such intensity, and I suppose it was the huge. It was the huge burden of command. I yeah. think it was the unbelievable relentlessness of it. Yeah. Um, it was the privations, you know, yeah. life in the tank. It was rapidly evolving tactics and it was a huge number of casualties. Yeah. And then I think once you get to know people, you want to kind of know what happened afterwards. So, you know, that seemed like an obvious thing to do, to do the kind of sort of wrapping it up and just seeing, you know, how did they fare post-war and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was how, how really, <coughs> and then it was a question of sort of getting the artifacts to kind of to, to fit it. In yeah, actual fact, yeah. there's you know there's comparatively few artifacts in that exhibition, really. Well, you that's know, what like that's the what... card, you know, playing card and Stanley Christopherson's jacket, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, and letter, of... letters and diary extracts and stuff. Yeah, but and I think all the kind of quotes on the wall work quite well. And, yes, they do. Yeah, and. You know, it is a small space and it's not a very big exhibition. So, you know, you're, you're, you are limited. But I've got to say, they, they were completely brilliant. They, they really let me, you know, they, they went with, with what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they, you know, they, they were, they were very sort of liberating, really. I mean, they, they, they did, they wanted me to have my own kind of stamp on it. Yeah. Uh, I was also very lucky to have sort of Andrew Whitworth, who, who's, who runs the, um, the D-Day story in Portsmouth. He was a kind of sort of advisor oh, because he's right. done lots of exhibitions and everything. You know, he'd, he'd sort of slightly rein me in occasionally. Yeah. You know, he was yeah. very sort of sound and very helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, bring his, his huge experience to bear. And then Jane Holmes, who kind of pulled it all together was, was just fantastically efficient. And is it something you want quite to interesting, do? The whole sort of machine of how that. Yeah. Works. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, is, is it something you'd want to do again? Well, maybe. I mean, it's quite a lot of work, um, but, but <laughs> worth it. Um, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, I, just, I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky to have had the opportunity to kind of create it and put it on. To be honest, it's, yeah. You know, 
know, yeah, well, I thought it was, thanks to Justin Majeski, who's the director of the museum. He's he's an old pal, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, um, a massive Italophile. He's got a place like Nick or Tona, and um, again, he's very up for ideas and 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 sort of yeah. pushing the museum and getting you know guest curators in and all that. Yeah. Kind of so, oh, so uh, yeah, they, they they couldn't have been more more brilliant to work with, really. Yeah, I thought I thought it was really really good, um, and I thought that that you 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 know, you somehow convey a sense of intimacy with it, which I think is really, which is really a really interesting thing to do, you know, and obviously that, obviously that museum is very interested in people's stories and what happens to people in these, you know, in, and that, that, that's very much the, that's very much the way those kind of museums are going at the moment because the tank museum have done, it's very about the people as well as, you know, the technology there to, the tanks are there in front of you, but it's the people that, that, you know, the tanks are the hardware, the people are the software, and, yeah, and and you want to know about the software rather than the hardware, really, don't you? Yeah, um, I think uh, so. uh, yeah. I mean, a tank can't a tank can only tell you so much, unless, of course, you get into, you know, what it represents in terms of sort of engineering and culture and procurement and the thinking that goes into it and all, and all those sort of strands of thoughts. But I, no, I thought I thought it was I thought it was really I thought it was really 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 good, Jim. And, oh, well, um, I'm so thrilled you liked it. And and um, I got a picture of I got a picture of um. You know, tank the tanker's noddy suit, so I was able to get the actual colour reference that it's a sort of buff for. Um, yes, any, it is. It's any a... kit off stuff I might might be doing. So because there is a kit off going on at the moment. Because after all, we saw you. I saw you on Saturday with with your daughter Daisy, um, foot sore but elated from your efforts on Friday. So j- just just tell us about the walk as well, Jim, because that's amazing. Well, yeah, that was that was that was. Um... <laughs> yeah, so I, I had this Normandy trip, so I, I got back, and the slightly frustrating thing about the Normandy trip was we were supposed to get into Portsmouth at nine fifteen. We didn't get yeah. until ten fifteen, and then then there was some weird, nonsensical, completely frustrating delay getting off where we all just stood in the by the information desk for kind of you know yeah. fifty minutes for no reason whatsoever, oh, um, and no one explaining why we weren't getting off. Anyway, we eventually got off. Then I discovered that the M twenty seven was closed. So then I had to sort of reroute around Southampton. So it was 0035 by the time I got home. Oh, jeepers. <laughs> you know, you need a shower, sort of get in bed. And then I was all bits of buzzing. So yeah. I didn't really sleep very well. And then I'd get up at kind of half past four. <laughs> on this walk at five. So, and actually most of the day I was absolutely fine. It was a beautiful walk and it was amazing, you know, getting going with the, you know, the dog chorus and everything. It was just yeah. amazing. And a beautiful, beautiful walk. The only time it started getting really, really bad was I suddenly felt thinking, God, I've got a really bad cold here. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I've got eight, eight, eight miles still to go and I was really sort of struggling. And of course, you know, the following day I kind of realised what that was all about. Um, but, um, <laughs> but it was an amazing thing to do and, you know, we've made over eight and a half thousand pounds. Incredible. Which is incredible. And, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's sort of decent money. So, yeah, that's really, fantastic. Really and, you know, it's one of those things you just don't forget, you know. Um, yeah. You, you don't forget it and Daisy and her best friend Lotta. Lotta had never the most she'd ever walked was something like ten miles or something. Right, all right. Like to, to walk thirty-eight um, in one day, I think age fourteen is quite impressive. My brother and I, you know, we've we've done these long walks before, and actually, even Daisy's done one before. But I still think to do that cross country yeah. at, at fourteen is no, no, that is is really going some. So, so absolutely no question, the true heroines of the show are, are Daisy and Lotta. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my brother was sort of directing all the kind of fundraising that he might do through Daisy's account, yeah, <laughs> and using his sort of huge um, social media 
um, Arsenal. Yeah. Yes, yes, a very, very good cause. And uh, it was a very, very memorable day. And I'm really, really, really glad we no, did it. That's brilliant. And you were. And that was for DKMS, who are the blood stem cell uh, register charity. And that the, the, the tests they send out, the stem cell tests they send out, you get them free and they come. It's all done. When you do it, it's all free at the point of use. But they cost about 40 quid each. So that's a couple of hundred tests you've paid for, basically. Well, that's fantastic. Which I mean, is brilliant. Right. And, uh, uh, I mean, while we're discussing our... Uh, our extraordinary good works here. We've had an incredible, uh, we've had, I mean, we're all going to heaven. We've had an incredible response to our modeling competition in aid of those suffering in Ukraine. Still time to enter. Check the hashtag, hashtag kit off on Twitter. More than £2,000 raised so far, and we'll be donating £10 for every entrance. So that should get us well beyond £3,000. That's Red 5. Simon from Red 5 Models is organizing and judging the competition. I'll be having a look as well, but I've started making something. I've started making a Churchill because I, I I couldn't look at all the photos of people making things and think think no, I can't get involved. So I'm doing a I'm trying to do a really scuzzy Churchill. Yeah, that's good. That's as okay. my contribution. Yeah, because the, the yeah. Tamiya Churchill is a simple kit. Well, I saw I saw a number of Churchills last week in Normandy. So I did. Yes, I, I wanted to. I, we want you want to talk about Normandy, don't you? You want to talk oh, a about a little bit, a little bit, because because. You know, it's one of those things that it's one of the, I mean, you know, I know I've said it a lot of times, but, you know, walking the ground is yeah. incredibly useful. But one of the reasons it's useful is because every time you go to somewhere like Normandy, it prompts you to think of things in a different way. Yeah. And it yeah. makes you sort of question, you know, what you said before. And yeah, um, I saw a lot of, uh, I did see a lot of Cromwells, all of which were painted incorrectly, which was slightly annoying. <laughs> there's a really, there's a really gopping one just outside, um, um, <laughs> It's a Colville Montgomery. That's a yeah. story. You know that story? Why it's no, called Colville Montgomery? Well, it's his family. It's his, it's it's the Norman family name, isn't it? The, the, the... Well, apparently, but, well, maybe or not. But well, no. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, what it is, is is the mayor of Colville, Sir Mayor. Yeah, they said right. You know, the first the first Allied soldier that comes on that you know that we see on the beach, we're going to name rename the town after him. <laughs> so some sort of private goes. Well, I don't know about that cop. Um, you know. Better kind of you know bring that up to my uh, to my sergeant. My sergeant, yeah. goes, oh, I don't know about that. Better, better talk to the platoon commander. The platoon commander goes, oh, I don't know. I could I could do that. I mean, we all see the company commander. The company yeah, commander yeah. goes, well, I can't do that. And it goes all the way up to Montgomery. He goes, thank you very much. <laughs> and that's what's called Colville Montgomery. So it's not it's not his his Norman conquering name from no. No, right. I no, it's it's post post you know post D Day nineteen forty forty four. But anyway, Excellent. be that as it may, just outside Colville's Colville Montgomery, there's a there's a um there's an Avery. Yes, it's a Hillman, isn't it? It's at the Hillman site, isn't it? No, it's not. No, no it's, there now is a rusty one at that. There's a rusty. Yes, one there's a rusty one at the Hillman site, <laughs> which doesn't really sit well because obviously there weren't, any, there weren't any any Churchills at Hillman. But no, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> it's still nice to see it. Yeah, um, but the one outside Colville Montgomery, or a bit further on, whatever the town it is, I can't remember. It's um, well, um, it's just a horrible sort of limey green, and it's just oh, yeah. in every which way you look at it, it's just wrong. But anyway, yeah. Then there's another one up at <coughs> Hill One One Two. It's Hill One One Two that that's really, really got me thinking. Yeah, because you stand up there, and I mean, you've been up there, haven't you? You know what it's yeah. like. It's kind of yeah. you, you know, it's a it's a big old landscape yeah it really is and you kind of think about who's up there at the time yeah you know 
10th to the 18th of July. This is this is the ultimate, this is the time of attrition, isn't it? This is just before Goodwood. It's before yep, the yep. fall of San Lo in the West. It's before Cobra gets launched. Yeah. Who's there? Well, you know, you've got you got the two SS Panzer Corps there. Yeah. You got ten, uh, you know, and under that you've got ten SS, nine SS, twelve SS, one SS. And just around the corner is 21st Panzer. Yeah. That's a big old chunk of your 10 Panzer divisions all in that area. And that's not in the con area. That's that's 21st Panzer kind of in the con area. But, but, yeah. But, you know, that's a big chunk of your main Panzer divisions are in that area. And that's where they're getting chewed up from the start of Martlet on the 25th of June. Yep. Where you you know you're up against Panzerlaire and the and the twelfth SS, yeah. Through to the final irrevocable capture of Hill One One Two and that surrounding ground on whatever it is, twenty second of July. In that kind of four weeks, that is when five of the ten Panzer divisions are totally chewed up. Yeah. And if your job of securing victory in Normandy is to chew up Panzer divisions because they're the best Panzer divisions primarily above everything else. Yeah. Then that tells you that that is the most strategic importance. That is an area of most greatest strategic importance, I would say. Yeah. That's the that that's the where the bat where the battle is happening. That's where it's really yeah more more than any other location on the Normandy battlefield, I would say. Right. And and it's right. and it's weird. And I I know Jonathan Ware's kind of into this theory. Uh, and he thinks it's all very, very, you know, it's quite deliberate and we've just underplayed it in our history and all the rest of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure it's as clear cut at the time as as he makes out. He may well be right I'm, and I may be wrong, but but my sense of it is that it isn't as clear cut at the time. So I think it is one of those kind of learning that with, retro, you know, in retrospect. But it is really interesting because when you are on Hill 112, you really can see for miles. But, you know, you can see Kong, you can see beyond, you can see the Breville Ridge. You can see it all. You can see all the way through to sort of Comon. You can see the Rory Ridge. You can see everything. You know, yeah. you, you can you can not quite see back to the sea, but but you, you know, it. And then you can see further south as well. So you can see why that sequence of you know that that rising ground south of the River Odon, the Odon Valley, yeah. is so incredibly important. And then you think about how much. How much sort of blood was spilt on that? And you think think that you know the the Germans have nine Panzer divisions, one Panzer Grenadier division. You know, and the British just have three um, armored divisions in the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously they have independent armored armored brigades as well. Yeah, I don't know. I just I just think it I, it just suddenly occurred to me that that actually, <coughs> if I was doing Normandy again, I think I'd make a bit more emphasis on that. But it's a, but it's as much an infantry battle as it is anything else, though, isn't it? It's that it, it's. These endless, I mean, or or rather, com, you know, integrated combined operation, you know, combined arms battle as much as anything else, isn't it? Because, yeah, because yeah. you know, because after all, that's how you do, that's how you assault. And this is part of the relentless assault stage that the Allies are having to do. Yeah. It's a thing, I, that's a, a thing I've, I've been trying to get my head around in the last last few weeks that, 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 you can't have your, your, there's no, there's no breakout without a breakthrough. And this is part yeah, of yeah, a, it's a, an a endless relentless assault phase that, that that every every german defensive line needs assaulting in a fresh way and that's just a thing that's that started on the beaches and is now making it you know and and this kind of high ground is 
critical to what you're trying to do, but you have to do it. I mean, it's interesting the Germans are committing. Obviously, we know what a German armoured division is, but the, but the Germans are com- committing in terms of armoured divisions, and the British are committing in terms of all arms. That, yeah. that it's it's an all arms battle, and what you're trying to do is what you're trying to do is feet is suck the German armoured divisions into your combined arms mincer, aren't you? Yeah. You're trying to get them to attack. You're trying to get them to counterattack, basically. Yes. So you can destroy them. Because you know that's what they're going to do, and you know your artillery is that much more powerful. I mean, I, I, however, this this fighting, I mean, this fighting is absolutely it's ghastly, isn't it? And it's, yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's terrible. You know, the the hill change, the top of the hill changes hands several times, and yep. and and the Germans. I mean, obviously, the, I mean the the other thing I think that the hindsight, the the problem I think with with a lot of this is that we've got operational names for all this stuff, Epsom and Charmwood and... and Jupiter and... Exactly. And, and so, so you 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 know, with, with hindsight, you look at it in those terms. But if you're the Germans, you don't know Operation Charmwood is just, has just started. You don't know that Epsom has completed and, and has it met its objectives or not in a way that satisfies Carlo Deste, you know, th- 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 30 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, none, of those, none of those things are how the Germans are viewing this. That, you know, if anything, they're just thinking, oh, if, if they're thinking anything, they're thinking, here comes another colossal crack. You know, that this is yet another gigantic blow that may that, that if they succeed, they will break out. They will break through and break out. Yeah. And they're being because we talked because we talked the other day at, at, um, at the National Army Museum about, you know, that the the incident with the tiger, you know, the. Uh, um, oh, in the in in Fontenay, in the Rue Massif. Yeah, and I said, so what's going on here? Is he? Is, do, what do we know about? Is he lost? Is he? Does he? Does he? Does he just not know that the Sherwood Rangers are there? What's happening? Or is it just in the? You know, get some tanks together, get get up to the top of the next hill. The British are coming. Or we think we think they're in. We think they're in this village. He doesn't know where he is, and so he runs into them. Because after all, the Germans are just doing this endless firefighting. This endless reconstitution of of um, degraded units on on a sort of permanent um, basis, and obviously that's the thing people kind of admire about the way the Germans run their defences. They're able to do this reconfiguration on the fly, but they've got they have no option. That's the you know that's pure necessity being the mother of invention. They're well, not, it's, it's what Steve Prince called the the the, um, the freedom of poverty. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, it's, it's, they, they're able they're able to put these battle groups together, these camp grouping together very quickly. Yeah. But it's a sign of fundamental weakness that they're in a position to be able to do that in the first place. Well, and they've got they've got no they've got no option. They haven't got time time to sit I around mean, the, and, the, and... the Rue thing that the, the you know with the um John Semkin meeting that tiger tank from the hundred and first um heavy panzer battalion, which is Michael Vittman. Yeah. At around five twenty PM on the uh, Monday the twenty sixth of June nineteen forty four is a really, really interesting episode. Because it shouldn't have been there, and <coughs> it turns us, it turns us, it turns at the southern end of the street, and at the far end of the street is a farm, and yeah. in the farm is the headquarters of Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry, and yeah. standing Christopherson standing outside his command tank, Robin Hood, and he yeah. finally sees his tiger tank and just thinks, "Holy moly!" And at yeah. the precise same moment, John Semkin, who's the commander of A Squadron, turns into the room Massieu, therefore protecting. David Christofferson and the headquarters. Yeah. yeah. And fires first and fires 10 rounds at this Tiger tank before the Tiger tank has had a chance to fire any. 
yeah. and the crew subsequently bails out. So the question is, what on earth is it doing there? And, and there's one of two options. I the one is is that you know Max Wuncher, who is the um, who is a, a, a regimental commander in the Twelfth SS Panzer Division, has been asked by Panzer Meyer, the commander of the Twelfth SS, to get a battle group together to, to defend the Rore Ridge at come what may. Yep. And so he's throwing different units in, different infantry, you know, different grenadiers, um, Panzer Fours from one unit, Pampers from another unit, and these Tiger tanks from the um, 101st Heavy Panzer Battalion, which were not originally part of the 12th SS, but which have been seconded to the 12th SS. Yeah. Uh, and they're on their way to join the 12th SS on the 13th of June when they shoot up the leading elements of some farmer division at Villa Bocage, infamously. And what one has to remember is that these units have just never fought before. They've never fought yeah. together before. And so, and also it's a, it's a very tight piece of, piece of ground. You know, you're talking about, you know, three miles by two, you know. So the the, the 101st, the, the, the tiger that turns around the Rue Massieu in fontenay le Pesnel would have come from Tessel, yeah, which is a bit further over to the west and just a little bit south of of Fontenay, and it may be that he thought he was turning into Rory. yeah, yeah, and just got yeah. it wrong, you know, yeah, fog of war and all the rest of it, or yeah. he might have been doing the glory shot and trying to do a kind of you know another Vitman, yeah, you know, we'll never know, but yeah. It didn't end well for him, and 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 it's amazing, and it tells you all sorts of stuff. It tells you that that he who fires first in Normandy generally comes out on top. You know, yeah. and it's actually it's not about destroying destroying tanks. It's about knocking out the tank. It's it's about yeah, the crew yeah, surrendering yeah. and you being able to hold that tank, and yeah. them not being able yeah. to recover it. Yeah. Tell you what, should we take should we take a very quick break, and then we'll come back because I think there's still much much more to talk about with with um, Hill One One Two and so on. Um, because it, because it's anyway. We'll see you in a tick. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video, and of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com/prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Welcome back to We Have Ways to Make You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland, of course. Um, so on the 14th of July, Montgomery, um, and this is to do with Hill 112 and, you know, the Battle of the Odon or whatever you want to call it. He says, um, uh, he sends his military assistant to London to brief the director of military operation, operations, saying the real object is to muck up and write off enemy troops. Right? This is what... This yeah, is, there you are. Right. On the eastern flank, Montgomery is aiming to do the greatest damage to enemy armour. All the activities on the eastern flank are designed to help the American forces of the West. Blah, 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 blah. So that matters. So this is know, the 14th. Yeah. This is what... This is what so this is four days before Goodwood. Yeah. So this is what they're briefing. This is what they're briefing London, you know, Shafe with. They're saying, this is what we're trying to do. And and I think what they're, they're, they're also they're reminding everyone of that's what they agreed, agreed they were going to be trying to do. But I mean... Well, that's these, exactly with, what they are doing. So I, I don't. Again, that sort of that's rather a feather in the cap for Monty. And yeah, I mean the thing is though, that, that's exactly what's happening. 
the thing is, though, is I mean, I th- you know what the Germans, what the what what's happening to the Germans is they're being sucked into this sort of situation they can't resist, and and and, and in lots of ways, it's sort of you know, it's it's the Allied way of doing things. So this is like big week, isn't it? You create a situation where the Germans have to react, yeah, because if they don't ra- react, they'll be overwhelmed. So yeah. so it's that idea of drawing drawing the enemy to battle, isn't it? Bringing them to battle, and you can destroy them because you know. You know that you have, you've got the the stuff, the men, the means to do it, and so that's how you bring your advantage to bear. But is there not? I mean, th- of course, the, the the reverse danger, isn't it? Is that is that the British over that you overcommit to this battle yourself and leave yourself a you know is not the worry that you leave yourself open to German exploitation elsewhere because you've you've committed so heavily to one sector of the Normandy battle line. Well, yes, and that, that's... Do you see what I mean? I do, exactly. And, and that is, I mean, that's the reason for withdrawing off Hill 1 and 2 at the end of Epsom, yeah. you yeah. know, which which costs a lot later on. Um, yeah. You know, and it's a controversial decision. <laughs> I happen to think it was the right decision because the whole the point of Epsom, obviously, was to... Obviously, you can get a breakthrough, great. But the main point yeah. was to make sure that the Germans were never in a position to counterattack in a coordinated way ever again. Once Epsom's over, it's over for the Germans in, in Normandy. Yeah, that that's that's the big thing about Epsom, is yeah. it, it, it seals the Germans' fate in Normandy. It's not the decisive breakthrough. And from the point of view of looking at the ground, it looks terrible because you know hardly hardly moved at all. And although yeah. actually, when you're on the ground, when you you know if you're say at, at sort of um, Norion Besson, and you look to the kind of far ridge, and that's where they got to get to on kind of day one, you think oh, shit, that's quite a long way. Actually. It's quite a tall order. That's yeah, quite a tall order. So to do that, you know, to, to, to actually be on Hill 112, which is, some, you know, seven miles to the south or something in four days, you know, a really tough fighting, bitter fighting with more and more German panzer units from various panzer divisions being thrown into the battle as they come. OK, so they, they haven't had a chance to reconnoiter. They haven't had a chance to, to properly deploy. But, you know, they're motivated. They've got lots of weaponry. <coughs> you know, that's that's not a bad achievement and and i think that's the that's the key to it is is that but but then they have to kind of pull back because they've got too big a salient i mean no yeah. one likes a salient because no it makes you vulnerable you know whether it be the cursed salient or, or, or whatever it yeah. is and the danger is that, that those british troops at the tip of the salient get isolated and cut off and that that wouldn't do at all yes it, because it was, it was probably the right decision well, because after all, you're you know, if you're bearing steel, not flesh, in mind, you're you're thinking in terms of you're not going to. I mean, you don't want to use men up, lose men unnecessarily, and that's also that's also tied into not you know the 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 the, the, the Monty idea that you don't you don't take on a battle you, that you might lose. You don't put yourself in a situation where you might lose. Because you, no, it's, because, it's unthinkable. It's, it's it's just completely unthinkable. Exactly, but 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 also because you've had the first two years of the war, the contagion of defeat in the British Army, where the minute you know the 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 generals generals people are very much thinking the minute things go wrong, they might go completely wrong, aren't they? Because that yeah. that has that has been happening, and so what you do is you 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 know you you I mean, 
you can call it play it safe if you want, but that's to misunderstand what what they're actually doing because there's no, there's no 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 sense that these battles are safe. I mean, that, I think that's often a, I think that's often where people are you know too cautious playing it safe. You look look at the fighting at Hill One One Two. Yeah, there's nothing safe about it. There's nothing safe about it. There's no, no you know no, yes yes it's real. it's cautious in relative terms, but in terms of you know bringing extreme violence to the enemy and the enemy bringing it to you, there's, it's not cautious. Whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And again, yeah, you look at again, you look at that landscape. Any infantry attack going up that hill, right? You're exposed. You, you know, the minute you break your hedge lines, you're exposed. The minute you leave any cover, you're in. You know, you you every man's a potential dead man. And I think I think these sort of ideas of caution. Um, again, you know, we've talked. Hindsight has come up an awful lot talking about this. I think yeah. these ideas about caution are all very well. But but it's to, not. It's to, only, you're not going to feel very cautious if you're in the DLI, are you? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so that's the whole point about the people complaining about the tanks and sort of you know this idea yeah. that when morale is low because Shermans are too much like Tommy Cookers. Yeah. I mean, what I think is really interesting is is that obviously the, the, the Tiger and the Panther come into their own, you know, where you've got big wide open spaces. Yeah, yeah. Because they've got the greater velocity, which means they can fire from further away, and yeah. and, and, and yeah. you know that's where their armor kicks in. You know, the distances yeah. are greater. In Normandy, that counts for absolutely nothing, because yeah. what counts much—I I would suspect—what counts for more is maneuverability. Yeah. And obviously, you know, Sherman and the Cromwell have maneuverability in, in, in you know, far greater maneuverability than a Panther or or a Tiger. Well, or, or, well, but 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 the you know the but the Churchill isn't a maneuverable tank, but is you know because it can grind itself up any hill, up any slope. Yeah, so that's and it's USP, and also it's USP is the fact that you can turn them into crocodiles, which are awesome, yeah, but uh, yeah, and, and ferocious, and all the rest of it. But I mean, in North Africa, what you want is a what you want clearly is a is a, is a tiger, you know, and, yeah. and panthers because there's big, wide open spaces. There's not an awful lot of you know buildings in the way, and yeah, and distance really counts. But yeah, but in Normandy and most of Northwest Europe, it's really, really close. Yeah, I mean, I was reminded of this yesterday the other day when we were kind of driving over. Um, because of following the ground all around around Operation Blue Coat, mm. following sort of thirty corps kind of advance, yeah, <laughs> and we were looking at all the stuff where the Shadow Rangers have been and down at sort of you know Jerk and La Bigna and Ondefontaine and Montpinchon, Pinson, yeah, and you know it's amazing really because because it's just fold after fold after little dip after little dip, you know, yeah. edge wood, another ridge, you know, another little fold and another little dip, and you know you're talking about really really small. Distances of space and of space and and I just thought you know I just maneuverability is everything yeah in, in this in a way that 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 having colossal clunking armor and cumbersome tracks isn't mm. Mm. well and a, and also but also what you need is tanks with a low profile that are easy to hide um, uh, and all that like sort of thing. Right? Why Stugs Stugs are so coming to their own so much? I mean, the, I mean, of course, you know that 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 this is this is after all the sort of in the tank story, the British tank story, and we talked about this the other week. That you know that that yes, the yes, the Matilda in the desert is is crap, but it's it was designed for it was designed for close French countryside. Yes, designed it was designed for hedgerows. It was yes, designed so what's, for, what's the Tiger and the Panther designed for? Well, well, well. The well, the Tiger's a breakthrough initially, a breakthrough tank. But it's designed to operate in the Eastern Front yeah. and in and mm. in North Africa, isn't it? Yeah, where it has space. Yeah, well, where you can stand off from the enemy and 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 fix him before he ever gets 
close to you, which is, you know, what, what, it, what it's so good at in those sets of circumstances. But then 1944, you're back in close French countryside, aren't you? Yeah. And basically exactly. all the lessons you've learned about tanks in the desert are arguably um, null, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're, which, which is sort of... Then, so then, I mean, obviously, obviously, I mean, I, I, was, I was struck by this... Um, just looking at the just looking at the tank noddy suit, um, uh, uh, you know, at, at the Sherwood Rangers, uh, your exhibition, thinking right. So that's issued late nineteen forty four because it's basically it's because winter's coming and they need yes, an over, they need an over, they start getting issued. They need a new overall. So I'm thinking right. So when was that designed? Um, when was that commissioned? When was that a bright? When was that someone's bright idea? When did they decide it needed four pen holders here or six? You know, when was that decision made? When was the cotton bought? When were the looms set up? And you start to realise that, you know, all of these decisions, are, are, you know, are fairly well deeply embedded. And, that you know, so much of what's delivered in 1944 to, to, to deliver the winning blow in Normandy, because after all... It's what, you, in when 43 you, and earlier. 43, 42, earlier. So they're all coming from ideas that have been kicking around... 39 40 41 yeah. you know that that you know that to judge so many you know oh they got the wrong stuff in 1944 to fight the germans in normandy so there's a school of thought well yeah but so many of the the lead times on a tank you know the sherman the sherman sort of bunged together in uh, you know 1941 really as a as a as a concept and they're doing it very all of this very 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 quickly you know that that in itself is that that in itself is remarkable, and the speed surely means they're going to muff some things. I mean, that's the other. That's the other. You know, I just sort of when you think of the the, the way the time passes. After all, I mean, the, the, you know, the pandemic was two years, wasn't it? And uh, to some extent, that flew by, and some of it crawled by. But but I, I, getting your head round the you know the Second World War for me is it's a distant event. It's six years. And and sometimes I think, oh, it's a terribly long time. But then I, but then you know, I was in, I did a gig in Blackburn last night. I've not been there for twelve years, and now I think about it, that's ages ago. Yeah. But also, but also, the rest of that tour in my mind is yesterday. Right. So the, the tricks time plays, and when and I think, I think sometimes when people look at the history of the Second World War, they forget about the tricks that time plays. That you know, from nineteen forty two to nineteen forty four, you know. The, June 1942, the British Army arguably can't tie its own shoelaces in the desert. It's running around, making all sorts of terrible mistakes. It's, you know, it's been shattered at the Gazala line and all this sort of stuff and and really, really can't. But and only two years later. Is is delivering this stuff in Normandy that's, you know, and fighting this this battle that we're talking about, which is designed as a meat grinder to waste the enemy. That trans- speed of transformation is is incredible. Well, you think of the kit they do have, exactly, exactly, and and the amount of ordnance they have, and the fact that they've got exactly. armor piercing discarding sabot about exactly, exactly, exactly. And I and I think I think sometimes you know that the, hind- the hi- hindsight is such a powerful and dangerous dangerous thing sometimes to apply to a lot of this, rather than to go look at the. I mean, if you look at the transform, if you look at the transformation of the army from nineteen forty. To nineteen forty-four, it's it's in it's incredible. Yes, it is it, incredible. 
and uh, ditto. You know, obviously, it goes without saying with the United States. You know, from, from yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Who, who, who from, who from in, in June 1940 to from a standing start. Well, and and, and in 1939, you know, Mar- Marshall is Marshall is put in charge in uh, the first September of 1939, and and the Defense Secretary at the time doesn't want an army formed. He thinks it's he thinks it's a bad idea. So they're doing. Marshall starts running the army up in, you know, in opposition to the defense secretary and is having to do sort of smoke and mirrors to get it past the American secretary of defense because he's not interested. And you think that the whole, the American thing from a standing start is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely and, amazing. It's absolutely and, amazing. Well, and, the, and you know, they, they get wrong footed at Kasserine and then they fix it. And that's the, I mean, the more amazing, the more amazing thing about what happens at the Kasserine pass is not that the Americans are defeated. I mean, why wouldn't they be? It's their first encounter with the Germans, so it's terribly serious. Yeah, I, I think they're completely. I, I think I think American historians have been completely hung up on this totally unnecessarily. I think it's, yeah. it's entirely unsurprising that they had got a bloody nose, and it was nothing more than a bloody nose. It was a real, you know, in the big scheme of things, it was not. It wasn't an earth-shattering event, and yeah, the, the important thing is is the lessons they learned as a result of it, which were enormous. Yeah, and, and my view is that they need to sort of give themselves a rest over this one, to be honest. Yeah. 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 I, I, I agree because like, you know, the standing start that, that they've done to get an army to Tunisia, uh, uh, to get an army to North Africa and then win a colossal victory. Yeah. It's extraordinary. It's, it's truly extraordinary. It that really achievement. is. Yeah. And, and they don't go through the British phase of ignominy and defeat and uh, evacuations. The Americans, the Americans, do, do the Americans get to do an evacuation in the Second World War? I don't think they do. No, they never do. They never <laughs> do. They never do an evacuation. Whereas, you know, obviously we've done quite a few of them. We're good at it. We're, but that's the if you Once you get good at something, you want to do it again, don't you? That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, as we know, evacuations in the Second World War, pretty successful. Yeah, they're always successful. Yeah, yes, I mean, that... Which, which, I mean, which suggests yeah, that's... one of a number of things, doesn't it? it suggests either, <laughs> either that they're actually quite easy to pull off, or people are just on the spot very brilliant at doing them. Well, yeah, yeah, or maybe absolutely. It's a combination of the two. Well, or 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 you know, in in that kind of clinch, that you get good at that, don't you? Well, <laughs> it's because on a narrow front, it's very easy to defend. Yeah, yeah, think, exactly. isn't it? Well, well, yes, and and that brings us back to. It's easy to defend, isn't it? Which is the story of Hill One One Two. Yeah. Because once you're established, you know the, the Germans. The Germans take ages to winkle out because it is easy to defend, not because they have better kit, not because the Allies are incompetent, but because the countryside, that countryside, lends itself to defence. Yeah. Completely. And not assault. Completely. And that's well, why it, assault. It's just a reminder. Last week, being wandering around around Normandy and yeah. just how tough it is a place to attack. I mean, really. I mean, we, yeah. you know, with all the guys we were with and. Um, we also did. Um, we also did the twelfth um, SS, camp, you know, attack against the Canadians on on D plus one. Yeah, we went to Alti and um, the Abbe Dardenne and all those yeah. kind of places. And you know, you, you, you're struck again that that they're basically up against the you know one battalion and and fifty odd tanks. Yeah, and they can't make any impression really. They, they push them back about a mile. Yeah, and that's it. But Jim. There's you just tangentially from what you just said. It's a really difficult place to attack. Where where is a good place to attack? In, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. So. It, I suppose. If if you're up against an opponent who's basically, you know, 
got their act together. And, you know, there's no denying the Germans have their act together in Normandy, right? Yeah. Um, and, and they ought to. They've been doing it a long time and they're, they're, they're well keen on it, right? But but, but where is it, where is a place? Because after all, the moment you get into open spaces, it's difficult to attack because they're wide open spaces and you can be seen a mile off. What, what, well, I know? think wide open spaces are easy to attack if as long as you've got, you know, you've got, you've got better guns than the, you know, you've got tigers yeah. against Shermans. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I think North Africa's quite a good place to attack, really, for the most part. I mean, the problem yeah. you've got in Normandy is you've either got really tight hedgerows or you've got sort of, <coughs> wide open field but with folds and hidden bits and lots of woods and you know, all of which makes it very difficult for for advance but yeah i mean you're but i mean that that's why there is a rule of thumb of three to one manpower advantage but actually yeah. you know that, that that's a nothing more than a rule of thumb and actually you want more like about 10 to one really yeah well and and um you know it's an eight to one advantage at the second battle of monte casino isn't it and they still don't pull it off yeah you know yeah and there's a, there's arguably all sorts of reasons for that, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, anyway, God, that, that was. I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about combat fatigue, but we're going to have to talk about that another well, time. Let's talk about that next time. Yeah, because that that and also a friend of mine. Um, he said, and he's a he's a keen smoker. He said, um, "What about the history of smoking in the Second World War? No one wants to talk about that, do they?" Because obviously we don't talk about smoking. Well, anymore. I think smoking. I might have found someone to talk about yeah. that. So um, yes, um, so I, I, I will I will pursue that. But we can talk about we can talk about the war of nerves. I want to talk about combat fatigue because because I've been reading this um, really amazing book from the nineteen eighties that's like a Cold War treatise about um, about combat fatigue. This is a Ben Shepard. Like it's a it, 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 and it's it's a polemic from the eighties about you know if we have a conventional war in Europe, this is what's going to happen. And that modern battle will move too fast to remove men to the regimental aid post and, you know, let them have a sleep and give them a hot meal because it's all going to be happening too fast. And he says there's going to be hordes of hordes of men driven insane by battle roaming Europe um, <laughs> in, a, in a state of ins- insanity. It's a great it's a great read. Anyway, well, we thanks for joining us today. Don't forget the kit off. Um, uh, it feels like it's been a little while. actually since you. Yeah, it has. Well, it has, though, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Yeah, don't forget the kit off. Um, hashtag kit off, um, run by Simon from Red Five Models. Um, uh, if you want to donate to DKMS, go to www.dkms.org.uk or register as a blood stem cell donor, or seek out Jim's uh, or Daisy's link for fundraising. Um, because he's his feet are still sore. He, oh, you know, right, actually, they're all right now. All right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Well, you're mainly concerned with COVID. Um, and and if you want more of this sort of thing, um, there is our Patreon. Um, have a look at, look out for our Patreon. Um, we have ways of making you talk, um, Patreon, uh, because we do a live cast every other Monday where we talk about, well, basically what's floating through our minds at the time. And, uh, and we try and answer your questions on occasion. Um, and it's a, it's a sort of, it's a sort of, um, hangout is what the young people call it, isn't it, Jim? Yeah. 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 Anyway, get well soon, Jim. Cheers. Uh, we're back on Thursday. On Thursday, um, I think we're talking to, um, Julia Jones about uh, the Royal Naval Volunteer Reserve, uh, except not the Royal Naval Volunteer Reserve, the, the, the yacht bit that has an acronym I can't remember, can't we? <laughs> R N V V R. Exactly. Yet another part of the nav- of the forces with with an acronym that I that I don't remember. So it's the Volunteer Yachtsman. Um, we're, we will we will see you all soon. Thanks for listening. Cheerio. Cheerio.